listening to the Grateful Historians podcast powered by McGinnis Dirt Services. I'm Lavelle along with Chance and we are educators with a passion for rural, local, and regional Southern history. We call ourselves the Grateful Historians because we are truly grateful and blessed. And we are back again today with another episode of our podcast, one that I think maybe uh, is a little bit broader than some of the topics we've talked about in the past. It covers Mississippi and Alabama and possibly Louisiana. And uh, We have a train robbery today. It's, uh, I am entitling this episode, The Great Train Robbery of Duck Hill, Mississippi. And Chance, I think uh, train robberies almost evoke this romantic sense in people. Uh, it, it's something that's sort of written on our national consciousness Uh, I've said a lot of times that the Western is probably the most American thing that I can think of simply because it couldn't have happened in a lot of other parts of the world. Uh, And and when we think of train robberies, in my mind at least, I think of the Western, the man on horseback, the masked man, you know, riding up next to the train and jumping onto the engine, holding uh, the man at gunpoint, that that sort of thing, stopping the train. And, And while this may not be, the robbery itself may not be as dramatic as a Western movie, I'm thinking back particularly the year 1903, I believe it was. One of the first commercially successful movies ever made was entitled The Great Train Robbery and all of 12 minutes long uh, in, in its length. But the robbery of a train, it was something that people were already interested in and would watch. So while this may not be quite as romantic a story as some of those were, uh, it's a very dramatic story. and It does touch a lot of different regions and that type of thing. So This happened at a place called Duck Hill, Mississippi, still around. And Chance, if you will, tell our audience just a little bit about this place we call Duck Hill. Well, like a lot of our local communities, it is a small uh, community, and it's located between Grenada and Winona in Montgomery County. And it's actually named for a large hill northeast of the town where Chief Duck, who was a Choctaw chief, and it was also a medicine man for his community uh, was situated kind of in that area. So he and his people were actually forced to cede their land to the United States government during the Indian removal act. And after which a man named John a Benford is going to build and develop his uh, newly acquired property into a cotton plantation. And this is going to take place around the year 1834. So we're going to start to see white settlers kind of move into this region, just like other places all across the Deep South as Native Americans are being relocated to Oklahoma. Uh, But that's when this small community is really going to begin to expand. So that just kind of sets up the community and, and our setting. But to put this into context, begin, if you will, by explaining when and where this happened and how the train came to be robbed. Well, uh, it's interesting that the newspaper reports of this story, uh, Chance, start off with a, a kind of a cliche that you and I were laughing about earlier. Uh, it starts off by saying it was a dark and stormy night, uh, which, you know, probably not the most original opening to uh, a, an article that's ever been. But it was. It was uh, it, the weather was bad, and I, probably that's why they chose that time. Duck Hill is along the old route called the Illinois Central Route. 
uh, a very famous route that you could get uh, fairly quickly to uh, New Orleans on up to moving north. You could go to Chicago fairly easily. This was not the type of train that people would normally associate with a robbery, uh, which made it so much un- so very unusual. It happened on the day of December 15th, 1888, about 10.15 p.m., uh, the number two train headed north at Duck Hill uh, was robbed. And this is what we believe happened. Based on a variety of different newspaper reports, I was able to sort of piece together a story uh, that, that I, I think is the most likely scenario of what took place. So this train is coming into the Duck Hill station and is going to slow down to stop. Two armed men had climbed aboard what we call the tender car on the train. Now, a tender car, for those who don't know, is the box behind the engine where the fireman, the person who loaded the fuel into the engine, got the material, whether that be wood or coal, usually coal because it was more efficient than wood. But the tender box was where that stuff was, and it was in an open car. So it's believed that these two men, somewhere when the, when the train slowed down very slowly, hopped on the side of the train, then hopped over into the tender car, and were sitting there as the train slowed down to pull into the Duck Hill station. So these two men climbed onto either side of the engine cab. They placed a Colt revolver at the head of the engineer and the fireman of the train and ordered the engineer to pull out of the station, and he said, you better pull out fast. So instead of stopping at Duck Hill, the train slowed to a very, very slow crawl, and then the engineer was given this information to proceed forward. Now, so the engineer is being held at gunpoint, and he pulls open the throttle of that train, and they traveled about a mile north of Duck Hill. And then the man holding the gun to his head ordered him to shut off the steam and apply the brakes. Now, the engineer somewhat was able to turn around. He noticed that the two men had the lower halves of their face covered with bandanas. Uh, The robbers forced the engineer and the fireman, who are the two men that are in in the engine of the train, they forced both of them to exit the train as soon as it stopped. And instead of walking back through the train, They stopped, got down on the ground, and walked back to the express car where they just simply stood there and knocked on the door. Not a lot of people know or remember from old trains that back in those days, they had doors that faced the outside on the side of the car. Um, A a lot of times when we see trains in movies, we see a, a door at the very front of the cab and one at the very back that you would have to go through the middle in order to, you know, to get to your point A to point B. But in this case, they just got out on the ground, walked around to the back, and knocked on the door to the express office. Now, for those in our audience who don't know what is an express office, kind of explain uh, what exactly that is. Well, back in those days, the mail service in the United States did not carry large packages. You could mail envelopes of small size. You could mail postcards, that type of thing. But if you wanted to haul something of any type of size, you almost had to go to an express office to get it mailed and get it delivered. Uh, 
and they utilized the train in order to do this. So the express office would be carrying not sometimes U.S. mail, but more likely larger packages, and a lot of companies use the express office as a way to transfer money, as a way to transfer like gold and silver, valuables, things that would not be normally placed in the United States mail. Those things went by the express office. So you have these two robbers on the ground with the engineer and the fireman, and they force them to knock on the door. And when they do, there was a gentleman in that express office by the name of Mr. Hill. He was the express office manager. And when they knocked on the door, because he realizes this is an unusual stop. Okay, this isn't normal. So he calls out and he asks, who is it? Well, one of the robbers had the foresight to say, we need help. A fellow has been cut up bad back here, and we need help. To which Mr. Hill opened the door and found a revolver against his chest as he opened that door, and the other outlaw, chance I don't know why, decided to fire some shots in the air, I guess to maybe intimidate him, I'm not sure, but at any rate, the passengers recognized that they heard about three shots being fired. Now, if we look at the location where they stopped, why, why not stop at Duck Hill? Well, number one, there's probably people milling around. They want to get about a mile away, where it's, but there's also a swamp nearby, and that would affect them an opportunity to escape. So they're inside the office. They fired off a couple of shots in the air, and they forced their way in. There are two safes inside this express office. They open one safe. Uh, when Mr. Hill was forced at gunpoint to open it up without a whole lot of success, there really wasn't anything in there of value. But when they opened the other safe, it contained parcels of envelopes, and the very first one that they opened had $1,000 cash in it. The total that they collected from the envelopes in that second safe amounted to at least $3,000. It was possibly more than that, but it was at least $3,000. And the taller of these two criminals said, he was remarked to have said by several people who heard this, well, I guess this will pay for our trouble tonight, turning to his colleague, and they went outside. All right, so once it becomes evident that this rail or, or this train is being being held up did the workers or any of the passengers try to mount any kind of defense? Did they try to stop these uh, or stop the robbery from happening? What was their reaction? A couple of things about this are kind of important. Number one, this was during an era of train travel when trains did not carry a lot of armed protection with them. So there's not per se a guard on the train. They do have a couple of weapons, but they don't have a security force with them. And, and, and by the way, this if you read other newspapers from the time, there begins to be this calling for all trains to be forced to hire armed guards to ride with them, particularly if they are carrying an express office car with them, because they think this is something that might prevent future robberies. But at any rate, there aren't a lot of armed people aboard. But... When they heard those shots, those three shots that they said were heard, a panic set in. 
Now, the man responsible for this line is on the train, and he is actually working his way through the crowd of passengers. He was very upset when all of this was over because he said, I approached at least 50 male passengers and was only able to get one man to stand up with me to say something or do something. So, the one man out of about 50, now I don't know if his numbers may have been exaggerated, but he claimed that about 50 people were asked and none of them would raise their hand. They were too scared. One man, a man from Jackson, Tennessee, who had been traveling through Mississippi. He was a passenger. His name was Chess, C-H-E-S-S, Chess Hughes. I think it was short for Chester. Chess Hughes picked up a Winchester rifle, which belonged to the conductor. The conductor, who is the man who is going through the train trying to generate some support because he realizes this is most likely a robbery, even though he hasn't seen anybody yet, the conductor gives him a Winchester rifle when he when Chess Hughes agrees to help. So Chess Hughes stepped out of that car. It was called a smoker car because you could smoke in it. And he stepped out of the door. He fired at the robbers because they were standing off a few paces from both the engineer and the fireman that we talked about earlier. He shoots at them, and it appears he was able to get off about three shots, but he was shot once in the arm himself and again in the stomach, and neither of his shots were able to hit home, which brings up another question. Why did he not just shoot out a window why did he rush to the door and do this and step outside he would have been safer the conductor of the train has a handgun and he does not step outside he is firing from the window of the smoker car that we talked about but none of his shots hit home either uh so while all this is happening the train conductor whose man name was wilkinson and a passenger agent by the name of robson he fired as well. So you had Chess Hughes, a passenger. You had an agent named Robson for the train who's shooting. And you had the train conductor, Wilkinson, who was shooting. And the two robbers are firing back at these men in the midst of all of this confusion. Women screaming, children running around, a bunch of men hiding under seats because they were too scared to help out. We know this much. We know there was a total of nine shots fired. There were three shots fired by Chess Hughes, the man who we said was hit twice. There were nine shots between the railroad employees and five shots by the robbers. So that's a total of 17 shots in total. Quite a shootout on the side of the road at Duck Hill, Mississippi, one mile from Duck Hill, Mississippi, at 10.15 in the evening in 1888. Now, as I mentioned earlier, the robbers had stopped the train just opposite a swamp, and that is no accident. They fled on foot with a, not a large bag, those envelopes of cash. They didn't have to have a large bag to hold those things. But that small bag containing the cash and the two men and their weapons off now into the swamp. Okay, so we obviously have this sort of hero of the story, uh, Chess Hughes, and then we have a couple of others that were involved with the robbers. After they take off into the swamp, 
is anyone going to go after them and try to track them down? Because I think we've talked about this in earlier podcasts when we've had certain crimes. It's like if you let them get away or get too far, it's very unlikely uh, to solve solve the crime. So did anybody chase after them? Well, I'm glad you said hero of the story because – Again, there aren't any armed guards on this train. They really can't leave, and they have a very badly wounded passenger, which has to be their first consideration. They take Chess Hughes. They place him as comfortably as they possibly can get him back on this smoker uh, car of this train, And the train took off immediately for the local biggest town as they're traveling north, and that would be Grenada. Uh, They arrived in Grenada, and Chess Hughes was offloaded. Chess Hughes is going to pass away about 11.15 that night, Um, about an hour after everything started is when he passed away, but he did so in Grenada. Very, very unfortunate situation because this is the story of Chess Hughes. He was the sole person responsible for his widowed mother, and he provided for her care. Uh, He was her only means of support. Now, he had been to Lexington, Mississippi, and think about this for a second. He had traveled south to Lexington, Mississippi to pick up other family members, including the train the night that it's robbed and they witnessed these events they saw him they probably did not see him getting shot because it's dark and people are hiding and that sort of thing but as the as during the chaos of all these events they see him being brought back onto the train and then they're trying the whole family who he has just been reunited with witness this and then they carry him to Grenada, and unfortunately, he passes away. He is a heroic figure in the story. He's probably the only person in this story of what will be two podcasts, probably, that, that comes off looking any good at all. So what's the other result? Well, now that they've gotten him back, the criminals have this at least hour head start in this swamp. The express company, who has lost the money, they're the ones responsible for the money that's been that's been lost. Wire to Chicago, and they get in touch with the probably the best known detective agency in the world at that time was the Pinkerton Detective Agency. Uh, if you've heard about anybody who's watched westerns or read western novels, has heard of the Pinkerton Detective Agency. They were like the the FBI of that time, even though they weren't government officials. Uh, they were sort of the best of the best. So it's it's obvious and evident pretty quick that they're going to get the big dogs in on this you know, rapidly. Well, given the location of this robbery and uh, the time of the robbery, did the railroad have a, a suspect? Because I know you said that they had worn bandanas to cover up their face. It was dark. There was a lot of chaos. Did they have any clue... Uh, how exactly to proceed in this investigation or a possible suspect to to chase? I will answer that question, but before I do, I would like to mention the sponsors of our podcast, McGinnis Dirt Services. You can contact Austin McGinnis at 662-552-7750 for all of your land improvement needs. If you need a pond built, a levee cleared off, 
bush hogging, stumps dug, access road or a lane, a house pad, any and all of your land improvement needs, you would do well to contact my friend Austin McGinnis. McGinnis Dirt Services at 662-552-7750. I also like to mention Michael Cobb of Farm Bureau Insurance. You can see Michael for all of your insurance needs. Michael Cobb can help you with all of those needs from coverage to your home and auto to life insurance plans, all tailored to meet your individual needs. And Farm Bureau is a Mississippi company. Michael is a local agent committed to taking care of you. So go with the home team. Call Michael Cobb at Farm Bureau Insurance. Michael's number, 662-258-7802. Michael Cobb of Farm Bureau Insurance. And Chance, while we are on our sponsors for today, we would also like to say a very special hello to a young man from Matheston uh, who is a listener to our podcast. We would like to say a special hello to our friend Dub Adams who is listening, and we would like to hope he has a great day and thank him for listening to our podcast. Let's transition back to this question. Do we have someone who we think is responsible for this crime? And the answer is, yes, we do. First of all, the Express Company, the Illinois Central Railroad, and the governor of Mississippi all place reward money out. And when I say the robbery of Duck Hill was a big event, this thing was carried nationally in newspapers. The reward money is significant. It was, it was more in reward money than probably the theft was. So this is a significant thing. Um, the suspect is a man who was born in Noxabee County, Mississippi. His name was Eugene F. Bunch. And Eugene Bunch probably deserves his own podcast sometime. Because his life story is very interesting. I won't go into all of the details, but just for a thumbnail sketch of his life, he was a school teacher by trade. So, Chance, don't you get any ideas? Who turned to robbery as a living. You, you may need to turn to robbery as a school teacher. I don't know. Uh, but uh, I, I'm, I'm not going down that road, Chance. I'm not, I'm not. He was a school teacher who turned robber and professional gambler. It was said that in one of his classes in Louisiana, that the administrators walked into his classroom and he was teaching the students how to play poker rather than whatever lesson of the day was supposed to be held. Uh, so don't try that either, okay? But anyway, this guy who has turned from school teacher to robber to professional gambler and has increasingly gotten a little bit more in trouble – we know has taken up train robberies with some associates. And as a fact of the matter, we know he has robbed trains in Texas, Louisiana, and one in South Mississippi. Now, fortunately, he has left his school teaching job in Louisiana. He did not come back the following year. And his wife left him due to abandonment. Uh, he had robbed some men in the Kosciuszko, Mississippi area. The train that he robbed in South Mississippi uh, was one near a place called Honey Island, a place that he had used as an escape. 
And while we're talking about things that could be a podcast, Honey Island on the Pearl River in Mississippi, uh, the boundary between Mississippi and Louisiana could also be a podcast sometime. I think we ought to do that. Here's why they immediately went to him. A, he's a Mississippi native. B, the previous robberies have this same type of MO. There's somebody hiding in a tinderbox. They stopped the train at an ideal spot. The one in South Mississippi was stopped on a trestle where nobody else could get aboard and off on easily. They robbed the express office. It was said that the men who robbed the people while they were talking to them were extremely polite, almost joking, almost jovial in their manner while they were doing the robbery. So it makes sense that Eugene would be Eugene Bunch would be a person of interest in this case. So give a little bit more information about Honey Island to those in the listening audience who who might not be as familiar with the area. Well, in South Mississippi, the boundary between the border of Mississippi and Louisiana is the Pearl River. And for a portion of it, the river splits. There is the East Pearl River and there is the West Pearl River. And dividing the line between the two of them in the middle of those two split rivers is a place called Honey Island. It's large enough that back in the day it had several plantations, um, farms on it. I mean, it's a, it's a fairly significant piece of land. Now, Mississippi and Louisiana had constantly argued over whether or not the island was in Mississippi or Louisiana. Well, guess what? The people who lived on the island claimed that they didn't belong to either one, and a lot of them refused to pay any type of tax because they said, we're not certain where we live. Now, what I'm about to say is a legend, okay? I don't have proof of this, but this is something that has been passed down through the generations. It was said that Mississippi and Louisiana could not work out their disagreements over whether the island which splits the East Pearl River and the West Pearl River for a number of miles, is it in Louisiana or Mississippi? So what they decided to do was this, according to legend. We're going to place an oak barrel in the middle of the Pearl River and float it down the river. Whichever side the barrel takes, that will be the boundary. And when they floated the barrel down the Pearl River, it took the East Pearl route which meant that Honey Island then was land that belonged to the state of Louisiana. Now, I don't know if that story is technically true, but I do know that ultimately Honey Island became land that belonged to Louisiana. The people there are somewhat reluctant to pay taxes. These people are somewhat standoffish anyway. Well, what, a, what better place for a robber to hide out? There's large areas of pine trees on it and that kind of thing, a place where you could hide easily. And Eugene Bunch, after one of his robberies, allegedly hid on Honey Island on the Pearl River until the heat was off. All right, so how did they go about finding Eugene Bunch? Well, this group of robbers who belonged to Bunch were a somewhat loose association. They did not live together. They just showed up at appointed places committed their robberies, and then went their separate ways. So the Pinkerton Agency was able to put a spy in that organization, a man by the name of Henry Sherling. Sherling, who had had a history of being 
involved in some crimes himself, but had reformed, apparently reformed, was an ideal candidate because he had a history of criminal activity. Well, he joins Eugene Bunch's group. So this organization that met up as a test, they planned to rob a man named Singleton in Marion County, Mississippi. Now, they all got together and said, we're going to go to Singleton's home and rob it. Now, what we think happened is this was a test of Sherling's loyalty. Okay, if you're really one of us, you'll join us and go to this house, most likely kill this man and rob him of his possessions. Well, now Henry Sherling is in a bit of a quandary because he can't give himself away. But if he doesn't join in in the murder of this man and the theft of his possessions, then he's going to give himself away as a spy. So he's in a bind. He makes the mistake of leaving the group and going and asking another person their advice. Look, do I give my cover away? And he was followed, apparently followed. And this group now knows that he is a spy in that organization. And just as they were headed into the woods to go to this man named Singleton's home, this man named Sherling, Henry Sherling, a Pinkerton spy who has infiltrated this group, is walking ahead of the others, and he was shot in the woods execution style. They found his body in the woods riddled with bullets where the bunch gang had left him. The Pinkerton detectives now want revenge. This is broadening. This this thing is getting bigger rather than smaller because the express agency has their detectives who want their money back. Now the Pinkerton detectives have lost someone who's in their organization and they want revenge. This is getting bigger by the day. Well, and I know earlier you mentioned that this wasn't maybe as romantic as as other westerns um, that we might be familiar with. But as the story unfolds, I, I'm starting to question that. I, I think it is uh, definitely fitting the bill for a Hollywood Western. But ultimately, was Bunch guilty of killing Chess Hughes at Duck Hill and robbing this train? Um, because, again, at this point, he's just a suspect. Uh, but is he actually guilty of the crime? Okay, so the question is... Was this the person responsible for the Duck Hill robbery? Even though we know he's a train robber. Well, I can answer it by telling one more story. Uh, this man, Eugene Bunch, had a close associate named Colonel Hobgood. H-O-B-G-O-O-D. Colonel Hobgood. By the way, both of them had served in the Confederate Army. They robbed a train together in South Louisiana and had headed to Honey Island, the place that we talked about, the same place that they had gone to when they robbed the train in South Mississippi. But first, before they headed to Honey Island, they were going to gather supplies at the home of Rob Hobgood. This is the brother of Colonel Hobgood, the good friend of Eugene Bunch. Well, the detectives found out that they were going to rob Hobgood's house because they had had his house staked out as a relative of, the, of one of the suspects. They find out that he's coming. These two men are coming. So the detectives waited in the edge of the woods outside Rob Hobgood's home, which is in a very secluded area. And sure enough, the two killers show up. So as it happened, these men in this posse surrounding Hobgood's home 
advanced closer to the home and actually called out. And when they did, these two men stepped out of the house, Bunch and Colonel Hobgood. Eugene Bunch began firing. He fired a couple of times without effect. And when they did, the entire posse opened up on Eugene Bunch. And it was said that his body was absolutely riddled with bullets. Colonel Hobgood immediately threw up his hands. And the posse advanced with some caution toward him. But guess what? Hobgood's brother wasn't even at home. So they had waited there thinking that they were going to meet up and they had probably intended to meet up with him to get some supplies before they went to hide at this Honey Island uh, place that they had. But this is what happens to them. So thus ends the life of Eugene Bunch, Confederate soldier, Mississippi-born teacher, soldier, gambler, uh, drunkard. Chance he had even been elected city clerk of a Texas town. In the midst of some of these robberies, he had been elected city clerk of a Texas town for a brief period of time, but had to leave the job because of drunkenness. The question was, though, was this the man who committed the Duck Hill robbery and the murder, by the way, of Chess Hughes? And how do we know? Well, when the detectives went inside the house, they found a large sack that, and this must have been a large sack because the records show it weighed almost 100 pounds, containing field glasses, masks, face paint, handguns, tools, and dynamite. It appears they were not done with their train robbing activities, but were about to step up their game quite a bit. However, we do know that they took Hobgood in for extensive questioning, and they find out by checking with other witnesses in other locations who knew where Bunch and Hobgood were that there is no way possible that Bunch and Hobgood could have been in Duck Hill, Mississippi in December of 1888. He is not the person who masterminded the Duck Hill, Mississippi train robbery. We're left now to say, who was it? And unfortunately, we are out of time. We are going to have to carry this forward into another podcast. The next podcast that Chance and I do, we will discuss if we're ever able to find out who committed this crime in Duck Hill, Mississippi, and if so, what were the repercussions? As always, we are the Grateful Historians. Thank you for joining us.